CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to a very special edition of the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop, and I'm beyond excited to bring you this uh, CFL Playoff Roundtable Special Edition of the podcast. Uh, it's playoff time. The CFL regular season has ended. Uh, we're getting set for the playoffs kickoff this weekend. Six teams left in the CFL. We have five games left before someone is crowned the Grey Cup champion. Uh, and we wanted to break it all down this week and set it all up for you because it's going to be a great month of playoff football in the CFL. Uh, if you missed it, Michael Garrell and I did our uh, CFL playoff preview show uh, on Monday. That's out on our iTunes and SoundCloud page. Make sure you have a listen to that. We got into some highly crazy... Uh, detailed playoff predictions near the end of the show. That was a lot of fun to record, uh, and I hope you enjoy it and have a listen if you haven't done so already. Uh, getting into things, you know, breaking it down between Mike and I is one thing. We have our, our perspectives on it. You hear it every week on the show. What I wanted to do is speak with people from around the league and see kind of how they see the playoffs shaping up here in the CFL this season. Uh, so that's what this show right now is. This episode of the show is for you. Uh, I have gathered guests from all four teams playing in the first round of the playoffs this week, whether it be podcasters or a reporter. Uh, I had the chance to sit down, speak with uh, via Skype someone in each of the four cities that is playing in the first round of the CFL playoffs uh, and compiled them all into this special edition of the podcast for you. Uh, great conversations with all of these guys. I want to thank them all for joining me on the show. Uh, it was a true honor to be to have the chance to interview them, have them on the show, uh, and talk CFL football with them because it's 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 the greatest sports league around, I'd say. Uh, getting into things, first off, talking about the West Division semifinal this weekend. Winnipeg Blue Bombers hosting the Edmonton Eskimos at Investors Group Field. Bombers hosting their first home playoff game in the new stadium. Uh, it's been a long time coming. They almost didn't get it due to a late surge by the Eskimos and some subpar play late in the season by the Bombers. But nevertheless, investors group field on Sunday. The Eskimos come to town uh, on quite a bit of a roll coming into the playoffs. Uh, started the season 7-0, and lost six straight games in the middle, and then went on to win their final five and are the hottest team in the CFL coming into the playoffs right now. That's exactly what you want to be. So without further ado, let's get into our first interview of the show here. I had the chance earlier this week to speak to Andrew of the Eskimo Empire podcast. He took some time out of his busy day uh, to take a bit of time to talk Edmonton Eskimos with me for this show. Um, so without further ado, here we go with Andrew. And now I'm pleased to welcome Andrew from the Eskimo Empire podcast to the show. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate you having me back on. Yeah, no problem, no problem. You know, I have to say to start this off, 
you are actually setting a record here tonight by uh, joining me on the show for most appearances on the podcast in <laughs> podcast history. Uh, you know, this is the first year under the Canadian football countdown, but we've been around under an old name. Uh, and you've set the record now with your third appearance on the show. So well done, well done, and uh, thank you for always joining us. Hey, no problem. I'm uh, I'm honored you keep asking me back. I must be doing something right somewhere. So I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> now, before we get into talking about the Eskimos and the Bombers here, uh, I do want to wish you a happy belated birthday. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. As we all know your birthday was yesterday, um, thanks to social media. <laughs> yes, thanks to social media. I got a lot of people telling me that. That was pretty good. That was, uh, you know, it's kind of fun when that you kind of don't get a chance to look all day and then you look in and you're like, wow, there's a lot of people that took time out to say happy birthday. It's kind of nice. <laughs> so I appreciate that. That's, That's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. So getting into talking about the Eskimos, this is the first time we've had you on this season. Talk a little bit about the season as a whole in Edmonton, kind of a roller coaster year up and then straight down and then straight up again. Yeah, well, if there's one thing that we could say about this uh, team this year is that uh, they, they've done a lot to work on every range of emotion that we might have <laughs> as fans. Uh, I think that, you know, the exciting part, of course, at the beginning of the season was here they were winning all these games, even though we had all of the injuries that we had to deal with. And they just kept plugging along and we thought, wow, this is great. And then, of course, that first loss came to the Bombers and we thought, OK, well, we weren't going to last forever. And next thing you know, we're, like you said, cartwheeling downhill at a rapid pace. And uh, and then the, the guys were able to get a bit healthy again and get a few bodies back, uh, both from the NFL and off the injury list. And now they've gone on this uh, five-game run to finish the season. So, I mean, it wouldn't be right if I didn't say that we have a streaky team. So uh, I'm just hoping that this streak lasts at least three more games. Absolutely. Consistently inconsistent might be the best ways uh, to go and describe it. Consistent for a bit, then inconsistent, then consistent again. What was it during that six-game losing streak in the middle of the season that like what 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 in your opinion caused that was kind of the reason that everything went south for a little while well a couple of things i would say one was that we were on our third uh depth chart middle linebacker and that's nothing against alex hoffman ellis um but i do think that J.C. Sherrod, Corey Jones play a very similar game, and they're very good at shutting down that middle run, and I think that was a huge part of it. I do think as well as just as soon as that first game they lost against the Bombers, and then the next week they, they when they lost again, I think there was just that the confidence kind of went out, uh, out the door a little more than we thought it might. And although there was a thought, okay, well, we're going to turn this back around, you know, Adarius is coming back. But then when Adarius came back, he wasn't, you know, 100% Adarius at the time. And right. he was recovering still. And not to say that he shouldn't have been on the field. I just, I just think he wasn't 100%. And, and we could tell that as fans who have watched him now for a few years. So I think a lot of those things just kind of added up. And, and of course, the, the big loss for us, uh, as much as, you know, um, J.C. Sherrod and Corey Jones, but Sean White. And right. we went in and here we're, you know, kicking with Hugh O'Neill, who I think was actually on a, a not bad run. 
and then they bring back Milo, and that kind of wrecked Hughes' confidence in the special teams game. And I've said this kind of all year, the special teams game has just really not been where we want it to be as far as uh, the level of consistency or, or even production. And the defense, I think, played fairly well. And I think the offense was that definition of consistently inconsistent. So those things kind of all added up to that six-game losing streak. And, and then, of course, Corey Jones came back. And next thing you know, we started to kind of get on a run. And that's kind of where things ended up. So, Yeah, really a, like a tremendous season from the Eskimos. You look at the 12-6 and six record. It might, you know, it might not look like it in the eyes of some people because you look at, oh, you lose six games in the middle of the year in a row. Well, if you spread them out over the course of a season then it's looking more like, oh, yeah, this is a really strong year from the Eskimos, not to mention all of the injuries. Talk a little bit about the the, the insane amount of injuries and uh, maybe the depth in Edmonton, how much that speaks to that. Oh, it's been uh, truly amazing. I mean, you look at it and you think that uh, I've got... Um, you look at the depth that overall has been pretty crazy because... Like I said, between our linebackers alone, <laughs> we, uh, we we were playing like our ninth linebacker on the depth chart and uh, and still doing okay. And, and I think the, the biggest thing that kind of brought it into focus for me actually was Terry Jones did an article here saying that the, the injury bill ended up climbing over a million dollars. And most CFL teams budget for about 500,000 and when you so I mean a combination of things obviously number of guys that went down at one point we had 25 guys on the six game injured list but the guys that are going down were the first stringers the guys that are making the most and so that that injury bill just I mean that indicates right there what kind of kind of trauma the team went through <laughs> as far as having rotation and yet somehow, um, and the six-game losing streak, when you think about it, you're like, okay, well, there was lots of other things going on. It wasn't just injuries by a long shot. But obviously, there is some depth there that now they were able to turn it around. And as they get some of these guys back, now they're kind of rolling again. But even when those guys were coming back, they would have to get back into the system and back into game shape. They'd be great practice shape. But... Now we're starting to see the benefit of that as we get to the end of the season and, and much I'm sure as you're thinking on the other side, on the bomber side, they started getting those big injuries right at kind of the wrong time. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that kind of plays out as the playoffs go on here because I think both teams actually are, are still very good with the depth that they have. But it's going to be very interesting to see which team kind of overcomes what they've still got on the injury list. Now I've long saw, I've long said that uh, what matters in the playoffs is which team is hot coming into it. It doesn't necessarily matter the entire season, uh, and, and there's no no hotter team in the CFL right now than the Edmonton Eskimos. They are my pick to win the Grey Cup this year. What has it been about this team over the last five games? What's been the biggest factor in them getting hot at the right time? Um, I think that the one of the biggest things, obviously, is that Darius came back to being a Darius. Right. We've seen that in the last three games for sure. 
I think the other part of it is, is now that offense has had some time to kind of play together and actually stay the same lineup, which has been very helpful. And the same thing actually is happening in the secondary because in the secondary for most of the season, we had a different one or two guys in that secondary every week. Um, and that was really affecting the entire defense. Uh, now, of course, the other part that helps now, this was just last week, but now, like I just said, the return of Sean White is, is huge as well. Absolutely. And we did get some consistency even with Swayze Waters getting some uh, better kicking, which did definitely help the special teams. And now all of a sudden the last two games, it's like we have a return game as well. So it's all of those things kind of add up to build that confidence again. And you kind of see the guys with a bit more swagger again. And of course the leadership of Mike Riley, once you've got that consistency on the field that you really see that come out. And I think that's made a huge difference in these last five games. Oh, for sure. And I I think we'll see more of that to come in November as, as Mike Riley will do what Mike Riley does. Uh, Yes. Play great and great football in, you know, the late months of the season. Um, in the CFL, we don't see too many trades happen too often, but the Eskimos were involved in a couple of them this year, bringing in John Chick, which was figured to be a major trade at the time, and, and C.J. Gable, most recent one, which was a huge addition down the stretch. Talk a little bit about those two trades and what impact they've had on the team. Okay, sure. So the um, couple of things with John Chick, um, when he came in, there was a lot of fanfare, and I think he was still... Um, having time, he needed time to get used to the system and the guys that he's playing with. One of the best things I would say that I saw Jason Moss do this season was in the last, I'm going to say six games, he rotated which guy was the healthy scratch between John Chick, Philip Hunt, and even Odell Willis, who, who would have thought that Odell Willis would have been a healthy scratch, but he has three guys there that are a little bit up in age and he's managed them very well so that you get the most out of them. And that's what we've really seen from John Chick in the last couple of games that he's played because he's now getting that week of rest and then he's able to perform at a much higher level, which has been really nice to see. But more importantly, and I know you even said this already, but CJ Gable was a huge benefit for us. Um, on two levels. One was we needed some help in the blocking and the pass protection because Jason Moss's offense is built on pass protection. And we lose John White very early in the season, who I, I firmly believe is one of the top two blocking backs in the league. Then we have Trayvon Van come in, who is a decent blocker, but is a really, really good scat back. Then we have Ladarius Perkins come in, who is a speedy little guy and has <laughs> some good um, good blocking, but not to the same level as those other guys. Then they are able to bring in C.J. Gable, who now brings not only the blocking, but he also brings that shiftiness, and then he hits the hole probably faster than a lot of guys that are in the CFL. And I think he's more comparable to the John White. He's a little bit taller uh, than John White, but most of us are. Um, but he does, uh, he just brings that other aspect that we already had built into the offense with John White. So now bringing CJ Gable in, it's kind of got this offense rolling back to what they knew from before. And I think that's been a huge benefit. 
Right, yeah, I would agree with you on that. It was almost as if C.J. Gable, that running back position, was the one missing piece for that Edmonton offense. Uh, and now yeah, they've got it going into the playoffs. Um, speaking of the playoffs, it was kind of the debate all season long as the West dominated the East. Do you, do you stay out West? Do you want to go out East? The Eskimos go and take control in the late in the season here in the final game. They beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and they stay out West. Which matchup would you have preferred from an Eskimo standpoint, going into playing Winnipeg this week or uh, going the crossover route? You know, I, I've started saying this about three weeks ago in that I just want them to win. So if that means that we ended up in the West, great. If that ended up putting us in the East, okay. But I think, and you even said this a bit earlier, is that you always want to be the hottest team going in because that helps with your confidence. That helps with all of the, you know, the kind of groove you're in. And if you hit the streak at the right time, it really kind of helps you to keep going. And I think that I would much rather that they just have won and keep winning. And so if that ends up putting us in the West, great. I'm not really too picky. I think a lot of people were underestimating the East and just because of their records. Right. But Toronto and Ottawa are not easy teams to play either. And Winnipeg and Calgary are not easy teams to play, especially when you're having to go into everyone else's barn. So I I think that it really doesn't matter. Is just get into the playoffs and preferably on a winning note, and that's what they did. Right. Once you get to the playoffs, no easy matchup for sure, despite despite the records. Um, exactly. Well, and if there is an opportunity that we can actually beat Calgary along the way, if we get there, then, hey, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be an Edmonton fan if I didn't say Absolutely. that I wanted them to win there. Yeah. A little sour that the uh, the Stampeders couldn't uh, help the Eskimos get that home playoff game this week? Yeah, well, I think that's a little bit of mixed emotion as I uh, look out in my window in Edmonton and it's, you know, snowing and getting colder by the day. Um, yes, obviously, I would have loved to have had a home playoff game. but Incredible, uh, really, that, you know, three weeks left in the season, all it would take was a Bombers winner and Eskimos loss and uh, for the Bombers to clinch it. And uh, Edmonton comes oh so close. Uh, an incredible yeah. finish to the season for the Eskimos. They come into Winnipeg for this Sunday, first home playoff game at Investors Group Field. Eskimos are on a roll. The Bombers are the only team they haven't beaten this year. Uh, granted, things have changed, I would argue, quite a bit since they last played. Give a preview. What do you expect to happen on Sunday? Wow. You know, it is a tough one. I think that this is going to be an enormous and exciting game for both fan bases. Um, I'm I'm excited for the Bombers that they're getting their home playoff game at IGF. I think it's the first one at IGF. And yeah. I, I think that's huge for that fan base. And I know how loud it can get there. So I'm I'm excited for that. I'm excited, of course, that the Eskimos are coming in on a hot streak, which is super helpful. But I, I just think this game has got all the makings to just be a back-and-forth affair. And um, I, I, I really I don't know if I can even lay down a prediction at this moment, other than the <laughs> fact that because, you know, I just can't help myself, i got to think that the Eskimos find a way to win. But I think this is going to be a really close game, and it's really going to come down to just who can execute in the cold and how much can the Eskimos actually block out the the incredibly loud and, and passionate fan base that's going to be there 
Um, I think I think it's just got all the makings. I mean, let's face it, Winnipeg's defense is going in on a huge streak as well after stomping out on Calgary last week. So yeah, well, I would argue it's it's, uh, it's been a bit of a flip flop streak. You know, we we don't know yeah. which defense we're going to see. Mike Riley could throw for five hundred yards or five interceptions. Yeah, I like the first one better, just so that you know. But I, but I do think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to just be interesting to see where that execution. Co- I, I solely, hundred percent believe this is going to come down to the fourth quarter execution. Absolutely, I would agree with you on that one. Very yeah. quickly, biggest key for the Eskimos if they're going to win this football game. Biggest key whenever we play Winnipeg is find a way to slow down Andrew Harris. He is an Eskimo killer, has been for years when he was with BC, even Mm. Winnipeg, everywhere. So that is probably going to be one of the biggest keys is bringing, having Corey Jones back, um, having Aaron Grimes back into that secondary um, and having a rested defensive line. Huge, huge part of slowing down Winnipeg is going to be slowing down Andrew Harris. And if they can do that and hang on to the ball, don't be turning over the ball. Those are the two biggest keys. Then I think the Eskimos find a way to to get the W. And finally, do you have a Grey Cup prediction for us? Wow. Um, Right now, and I I said this to Superfan Mike the other day, um, I see Edmonton and Toronto in the Grey Cup. And I think uh, that battle between Ricky and Mike will be something amazing. And uh, I I don't even know if I could call that one right now. But that, that I'm going to go with Eskimos in Toronto in the Grey Cup. Well, great minds think alike. Because uh, I <laughs> picked the exact same thing. Eskimos over the Argos in the Grey Cup. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're saying it, then I don't feel so bad saying <laughs> great it. Great so confidence good. in good. the hometown bombers. <laughs> 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 I tell you, uh, this is going to be an exciting game it could go either way Let's absolutely for yeah. sure yeah uh just to close things out here uh i'm sure everyone knows where they can find your work but uh you know just for the sake uh where can people find your work where can people find you on social media absolutely uh you can find us uh, on twitter at esk empire pod and of course now you can go to our website which is just eskempire.ca and all of our social media links are there our new blogs are there that uh, webmistress kayla is putting up uh, our instagram and all those types of things are easy to log on to right there and if you want to just chat with me as well you can uh, find me at freepalicious on twitter still want to know the story behind that one day yeah, boy. <laughs> it's it's an easy one. I, I th- I'm thinking of putting up a blog just so that everyone, then I can uh, people can access it. But um, th- briefly, it's based on a cartoon character from when I was a kid, and um, that was named the Fearless Freep. And my dad <laughs> called me the Freep when I was a kid for the longest time. And so then when it time came time to make a Twitter account, I just went with Freepalicious because it's funny. <laughs> right on. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for uh, joining me here on the show yet again this week. Um, Hopefully we get an exciting game, no matter how it ends this week. I think we're in for an exciting one. We can both agree on that. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, enjoy the playoffs. Thanks, man. You too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. And that was Andrew from the Eskimo Empire podcast joining us to talk about the Eskimos as they prepare for their Uh, playoff game here in Winnipeg this week. Uh, Thank you to Andrew for taking the time 
out of a very busy day to uh, speak to me on the podcast here, and uh, always great to have him on the show. Uh, knows his Eskimos very well, very good insight, great guy, um, and love having him on the show. So uh, switching gears here to, from talking about the Edmonton Eskimos to talking about the other side of this matchup, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They're coming in, pretty good season from the Bombers, 12-6 and record. Uh, but playing a bit of, you know, dicey football down the stretch. Certainly not their best portion of the season down the stretch uh, coming into the playoffs, but overall a pretty strong year from the Bombers. Matt Nichols having arguably the best season of his career, uh, and really just a good vibe around Winnipeg uh, when it comes to football this season. Uh, So without further ado, let's get into our next interview here. I had the chance earlier this week to speak to uh, Robert Dalton of the Rouge Radio podcast. Uh, He joined me on the podcast to uh, talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and what he sees from them, uh, how they've turned around over the last year and a half, uh, what he sees from Matt Nichols and what he sees from the Bombers coming into the playoffs. So without further ado, here's my interview with Robert. And now I'm pleased to uh, welcome uh, Robert Dalton, co-host of the Rouge Radio podcast uh, out of Winnipeg, here to the show. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, I guess getting into talking about uh, your hometown bombers here, um, your expectations for the team coming into this season because uh i'm interested to hear what they were because personally i had them taking a step back from the year before uh and finishing it at about a nine and nine record this year and obviously they eclipsed that so uh your your thoughts on the team coming into this season uh you know what's funny is that when we do our uh on our podcast be in uh, around training camp we do our uh nine teams in nine weeks and when we both covered the Bombers, myself and Tony Allen, the other host, uh, we both had them around 10 and 8, uh, 11 and 7. And we just liked the, the the direction, not only that the offense had, but the organization as a whole, uh, draft and develop. That uh, seems to be a, a coined phrase in Winnipeg. But they, they, they had some very good Canadian content and on the offensive line. It's shown that... Uh, that stability just breeds a lot of success. So I, I'm not surprised that, uh, that they wound up 12 and six. What I am surprised is there were some games that they didn't deserve to win. Uh, and then there are some games that they probably didn't deserve to lose at all. So, I mean, it all, it all evens up in the, in the long run after the season's over. Absolutely. Uh, I guess to kind of sum up what uh, sum up a little bit what you saw this season from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, and the way they played. Well, they, I mean, defensively, we didn't really see that much of a change, and I think that's more schematics. The one thing that I was really impressed with, and that the, I think everybody saw, is their clock management offensively. This is a team that it didn't matter if they were down by ten or twelve, or even if they were up by three. They, they just uh, schematically just ran down the field, field goal after field goal, maybe the odd touchdown here and there. But clock management in the fourth quarter was really, I was really impressed with that. And, uh, truth be told, if they had a lead in the fourth quarter going into the fourth quarter, I mean, I know they say hashtag uh, no lead is safe in the CFL, but <laughs> against this bomber team that just leads uh, ball control, especially when you got guys like Andrew Harris in your backfield now uses a slot back. 
Uh, I would say that any lead by the Bombers is somewhat safe, although, you know, they can never say never in the playoffs. Certainly. And I would also argue the counterpoint there that it was almost like even if the Bombers are down going into the fourth quarter, more often than not, there was still a chance that they were going to come out on top. You look at some of those losses they had, like the ones to BC and Toronto, where, yeah, they didn't play the greatest, but at the end of the day, you know, you're a field goal away from picking up the win. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I, I think the the way that their offense is run, like I said, it, it's uh, it's clambering on ball control. So as long as they know that they can get the ball within the final twenty seconds, and with Justin Madlock, even though that he's had it down here, they they know that they can count on him in, in, in the last twenty seconds if they need in the last last minute or last second fifty five yard field goal. And, uh, I, I think that's just pretty much what they they heavily relied on his uh, on his leg. What can you say about the play of Matt Nichols? Because I feel like he is one of those guys around the league where there are 50 different opinions on him. You hear, the <laughs> oh, he's a game manager. Oh, how did he become a starter? Uh, to be honest, I'm kind of still questioning. I was questioning at the time uh, when the Bombers picked him up for what was a seventh round pick, whether this guy was going to become the starter. And now all of a sudden he's an MOP quality candidate. People saying he has an MOP season in him. What is your opinion on the play of Matt Nichols? Uh, you, you know, when everybody, when anybody still uses that label of game manager, I, I don't, I don't see that as a bad thing. I mean, to me, when you're telling me, hey, what's a game manager? I'm thinking, well, as a guy that that uh, that uses the clock uh, to his benefit, uses his weapons uh, to his benefit, and at the end of the day, wins games. And what has Matt Nichols done? He's won eleven games. He's he's gone eleven and six as a as a as a starter. And I, I, I tweeted out at the early at the beginning of the season his record since taking over from starter, and I don't have all the stats with me at this time, but it's it's phenomenal, right? I mean, it's 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 exactly what you're asking for. You're starting quarterback, close to five thousand yards passing this season, twenty yard touchdowns or twenty eight touchdowns, uh, less the uh, single digit interceptions, which is something that a lot of starting quarterbacks this year have. <laughs> are, are, have not able to uh, to achieve so i mean that's saying something but again that i think it's just more of a marriage between him and paul police to, to determine his success this year um but I, I would i mean if there's one thing uh that uh, that i could use to describe matt nichols is, is simply outstanding and uh, you know it sucks that he never really got to play the full games in the last couple of weeks because i i honestly believe and i and and deep down i wanted him to hit that five thousand just to maybe cement him as, as one of the elite quarterbacks of the CFL. Right, yeah. It's almost like he doesn't get that acknowledgement as one of the elite, despite definitely having the stats there. And to what you say about him, you know, coming out and winning them football games, even when he's not on his game, I would also argue that Matt Nichols doesn't go out and lose the Bombers football mm-hmm. games, like you mentioned, by the lack of interceptions thrown. We haven't seen really a game lost by, you know, Matt Nichols throwing a terrible interception. No, exactly. And then that, and that just uh, that comes down to the point of him being a game manager. Right. I mean, uh, and like I said, it's not exactly a bad thing. If you can manage a game without causing the because uh, causing defeat and put your team into a good position to win. Well, then, you know, I'll, I'll take that label any day of the week, twice on Sunday. What do you make of the Bombers defense? Because this one's the real enigma to me. Some weeks they look great and force seven turnovers like they did against Calgary. Granted, it's Andrew Buckley's first start and the weather at the time. And some weeks they uh, they look absolute terrible. Some they look in between. I think it's clearly 
you want to say talent because when you look at that linebacking core and and obviously with uh, Ian Wild returning from injury and and the surprising play of Javon Santos Knox coming into uh, into, into the equation and uh, the loss of Maurice Leggett, uh, I mean to to me it screams more schematics and and uh, the soft zone coverage that this team has allowing certain teams to. Uh, I mean last year it was. Uh, not rushing enough to get to uh, to put pressure on the quarterback. Now you're starting to see a lot of creativity on getting to the quarterback. And uh, I mean, as long as you're trying to get to the quarterback, I, I nine times out of ten, certain quarterbacks are going to find that open receiver, which is fine. Um, but what we saw in Alaska, or what we're seeing in the last couple of games, is we're start we're starting to see a lot more pressure, which immediately probably probably takes away a lot of the explosion plays. But when you're allowing guys, and, and this is going to be key this Sunday against Mike Riley, because if you're going to give him time to find four to five really great elite receivers to get open all that time, uh, then you're just asking for trouble. So I think if you're looking for some, as, as far as my opinion for this defense, is that if, they, if Richie Hall can find some creativity to get to the quarterback, uh, that soft zone coverage that they have in that secondary probably is going to be, I don't want to say irrelevant, but it's going to be the least of the concerns if they can't get to Riley on the defensive front. Absolutely. Uh, now, we've kind of had a whirlwind turn uh, over the last kind of season and three quarters here in Winnipeg. Obviously, we've sat through uh, those many years of bad football, the Joe Mack era here. Uh Kyle Walters, Mike O'Shea, they've turned things around in Winnipeg. What, is, what to you has kind of been, what have they done so well that's turned things around? Well, the, the one thing is, uh, I mean, I, obviously I don't know the, the ins and outs of the organization, but one thing I've been very uh, impressed with is the, the development and the drafting of the Canadian players. Uh, I mean, if you're looking in years past, you're looking at, and, and I think John Hodge had a story about this, about the Bombers, a couple of months ago uh, in regarding to, you know, players around the 2013 draft. And where are they now? Well, they're, you really can't find them any, anywhere prior to that. But then you could probably go looking back 2012, 2011. There are certain players that are still hanging around with, uh, with their own club. And they obviously some of them have uh, went to greener pastures through free agency. Right. Uh, what I'm really surprised with is that the majority of the picks that Kyle Walters has made since he's taken over his full year of uh, first year of uh, general manager in 2014 is the majority of his picks has stayed within the fold. And when you're able to do that, when you're able to to create that atmosphere of, uh, hey, come play with us and we're going to be successful, that allows for you to be a little bit more creativity with your, your contract structuring, allows you to be a, uh, a an open source for free agents to come forth. And we've seen that in the last couple of years where free agents take a look at Winnipeg. Hey, we're going to get a good paycheck, but this is going to be a successful place for us to play. And we've seen players come here last year, obviously didn't have a lot of money for it, but guys like Drake Nevis and Matt Coates and uh, to an extent before he was released, Kenny Stafford, who had just looked at this organization uh, as a breeding ground for success. Whereas five years ago, you'd be like, ugh, I guess I'll go to Winnipeg because they're the only thing that's actually wanting to take me. I hear they have good Slurpees there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and it's almost uh, kind of to wrap up what you said there, it's uh, finding consistency, right, at the quarterback position, at the head coach position, sticking it out with Mike O'Shea, 
uh, bringing in Matt Nichols, uh, sticking it out with him, has kind of allows you to focus on putting those other pieces together around them, which I think was the major struggle for the Bombers for those several years, and is now what we're seeing out east with the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah, definitely. And then, like I said, it goes all, all the way back to Canadian content. If you look back about six years ago, uh, 2011, the last time the Bombers uh, were were in the uh, were a host of the playoff game. You look at that Canadian content. You got Doug Brown and Brendan Labatt. After that, it was. Uh, I mean, obviously, you'd have to go to Google just to see. Well, who are the other Canadian star? Not not necessarily the Canadian content on that roster, but who was starting? And uh, to to be honest, I mean, obviously, you're going to see guys like Steve Morley or Abi Khan, but. Those are at that time. Those guys probably wouldn't have started on any other team. Whereas now you're looking at guys like Suk Chung, Matthias Ghost, and Patrick Newfeld. They would start on a few other teams. Andrew Harris obviously would start on a couple of other teams. Uh, Jamal Westerman would start. Maybe not Sam Hill, but Taylor Lawler. He would. He would be an all-star state uh, safety as well on other teams. So I mean, it's uh, it's it's completely a one a one eighty compared to what we were looking at as Bomber fans from six years ago. That, that's an interesting perspective. I think the Canadian, you know, the Canadian content is uh, not something that's always kind of the first focus. You look at quarterback position and then you kind of look out from there. But the Canadian content is definitely a valuable thing to consider as well. Getting into the playoffs, uh, which are starting this week. Uh, first of all, obviously Edmonton goes and beats Saskatchewan in week 20 means the Bombers are playing the Eskimos at home. Uh, which matchup would you have preferred for the Bombers, uh, facing the Eskimos or facing the Riders? Uh, It's really tough because Saskatchewan brings a very Grey Cup caliber defense and Edmonton brings a Grey Cup caliber offense. Neither one of them actually have a very Grey Cup caliber special teams, uh, although Saskatchewan actually probably does get the the toss-up there just because they have a, a very reliable return game. And Tyler Kropinga has been uh, one of the, the top-tier uh, kickers in, in the CFL this year. Uh, as a, I mean, as a fan who, who prefers the easy routes, because I'm, I'm that way, I probably would have preferred Edmonton just because their kicking game hasn't been as reliable this year, and that's going to be a strong point uh, going into IGF. Uh, but, I mean... Uh, as a as a football uh, aficionado who just loves a very good rivalry, I would have definitely preferred the Saskatchewan Rough Riders just because it probably would have been felt very good to eliminate the Riders from the playoffs. <laughs> For sure. Year. For yeah. sure. Uh, that, that's kind of interesting. You know, I have actually the exact uh, opposite take on that, and that the Eskimos are the hottest team coming into the playoffs. Saskatchewan and you don't know what's going to happen at the quarterback position I think I would have personally rather played the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and I actually have the Eskimos going on to win the Grey Cup this year um, getting into the matchup between Edmonton and Winnipeg this week uh, what do you see in this matchup and what do you see happening on Sunday well I, I, I tell you what uh, this is a game that features two very good offensive linemen uh, so or the offensive line in, in the uh, Eskimos and the Bombers. And I, and, and I know that it's going to be showing bias, but I still think that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers boast the best offensive line in the league. Uh, obviously, it's pertaining to, to allowing Mike or, uh, Matt Nichols to, to, to get this outstanding season, uh, the most outstanding player nominee from the Bombers. Andrew Harris leading the league in rushing. 
uh, obviously getting that record for, uh, for receptions by a running back. So that, that all comes down to the offensive line play. Uh, to me, the matchup that I'm really looking forward to is Andrew Harris versus Aaron Grimes. And I hate to say that it's a one-on-one match with the ultimate team sport that is football. But if Andrew Harris is able to get to the second level, whether or not it's through, through the air or on the ground, if he's able to get that, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers should be should have a very good chance. If Aaron Grimes and that def, uh, the uh, the rest of that defensive front, and I know Aaron Grimes is listed as a halfback, they're probably going to have him sneaking close to the line of scrimmage. If if Aaron Grimes is able to to limit Andrew Harris as far as his uh, his carries, uh, if he gets into that second level and you hear that what's that level? Well, the first level is getting past the uh, the defensive line. That second level is getting past the linebacker. If he if he limits getting him to that second level, uh, then I think this is Edmonton's game to lose. And the only way that's going to happen is if Mike Wiley doesn't use uh, C.J. Gable as a as a, a balanced running attack and just tosses along bombs. And I know he's going to get those yards anyway. Uh, but the more passes that they throw, the the less le- or the more likely that it's going to uh, be forced to turn over in that secondary. Uh, but again, that key matchup for me is Andrew Harris versus Andrew Grimes, or Aaron Grimes. Uh, but to me, I think this is probably going to be one of those games where it's just you're really going to be heavily relied on the on the ground game, and uh, these are two equal teams when it comes to on the run, especially considering that uh, that CJ Gable has uh, just made that Eskimo team a lot more balanced than they were in the last mm-hmm. uh, last couple of months, even during their uh, their seven game winning streak at the beginning. They had little to no running game because there was no consistency because, you know, guys like Trayvon Van, Ladaris Perkins, and uh, John White were injured enough for the remainder of the season. And uh, they finally had that stability, and I think stability breeds success. So I, you know, I look for a prediction of uh, Edmonton coming out with this one, 25-22. I, don't know you, I know you didn't ask me for that one. But it's going to be a close game, and I think Edmonton will come out on top. Oh, that's fine. That was one of my next questions anyways. Uh, <laughs> and you actually took my next two questions, kind of. Um, the biggest key for the Bombers to win this game, uh, would would it be what like, what you said there to get Andrew Harris going? Yeah, uh, you get Andrew Harris going, get him more touches. I figured that if he's got 20 touches uh, during that game, you're doing something right. And if you can get him... Uh, open in the flat, in uh, into wide open space. That opens up a lot of room for Timothy Flanders. And if you can get Timothy Flanders averaging uh, anywhere around five to six yards per carry, then that opens up uh, that opens up the game plan uh, for Paul Apolis to get guys like uh, G- Julian Fieldy Godino into the game, uh, Weston Dressler, even Chris Givens, uh, even guys like uh, oh, uh, what's his guy? Maybe even Matt Coates. Uh, you know, get a lot of your game breakers uh, or game players uh, involved into the game as much as you can. And I think that's really pretty much been their bread and butter this year is to spread the ball. And even though that Andrew Harris gets the, the majority of the touches uh, through the air, they've been able to get success uh, to, to get success by spreading the ball through the air and spreading it uh, through the ground uh, between Flanders and Andrew Harris. So if they can actually do that, they stand a very good chance to, to winning this game. So it's not a, not a be-all end-all to do it but if they ha- if they can get successful on the ground through Andrew Harrison in the air like that they stand a very good chance to overcome this uh, I guess being the underdogs against the Edmonton Eskimos and, and, and on d- the defensive side of the ball obviously if they can force a turnover early get Mike Riley off his game that is the big key in that one as well 
Oh yes, I mean the, the the strong point with the the Winnipeg defense is the is their secondary forcing those turnovers. Well, Mike Riley isn't going to force those turnovers on his own. He, you know, he's going he's got five excellent receivers to throw to. Eventually, if that offensive line keeps them intact, he's probably going to have a lot of time to find one of those five. So the key point is the blitz. Be creative with your blitz. Send Andrew. Uh, I got Andrew Harris on the mind. Send uh, San Hurl, Javon Santos Knox, and uh, Ian Wild. Uh, even a uh, defensive black, uh, defensive back blitz. Uh, they were very successful against Calgary's offensive line. Uh, if you could be creative to get to Mike Riley, then by all means, do it. And if you're successful, don't stop doing it because the worst thing you could do is allow Mike Riley to uh, time to find those receivers. And and if he has them, watch out. This may be over earlier than it should be finally uh final question here do you have a great cup prediction for us i have saskatchewan beating ottawa and then losing to toronto i send out a tweet saying that the winner of this western semifinal will go on to represent the west and i'm going to stand true to that so i predict a eskimo uh, argonaut uh, rematch of the 96th gray cup final uh, the Argonauts falling to the Edmonton Eskimos. Ooh, if I had to predict the score, I'd probably go 25-22 for that. I guess that depends on if there's any injuries in the next coming weeks. Funny how great minds think alike. I have the exact same uh, Eskimos over the Argonauts. <laughs> and uh, earlier spoke to uh, Andrew from the Eskimo Empire, and he had the exact same thing as well. So Of course uh, Andrew's going to have that. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be the general consensus here is that uh, Edmonton-Toronto in the gray cup. Um, just to wrap things up, where can people find your work and where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find us, uh, well, myself at Rouge Dalton on, on Twitter, the, uh, the Rouge radio podcast available on Twitter at uh, Rouge radio. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher app, anywhere that you can find, uh, any kind of podcast and app uh, application on your mobile device. You can look for Rouge radio, uh, they, we do have a website, but because it's through a third party, I don't know off by heart. But if you go to Twitter at Rouge Radio, there is a link of it on our uh, on our uh, timeline. Right on, right on. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, join me here on the podcast. Uh, talk Bombers heading into the playoffs. I uh, I hope you enjoy the playoffs. Obviously, hopefully we get a good game on Sunday. Uh, will you be at Investors Group Field? I am trying myself, uh, trying my hardest to get there. I have tickets available, but typical Winnipeg, I'm trying to find a discounted way to get there. So. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. Good luck. Thank you. And that was Robert Dalton of the Rouge Radio Podcast joining me to talk about his hometown Winnipeg Blue Bombers as they get set to host the Edmonton Eskimos uh, for a home playoff game this week. Uh, I loved what he had to say about the turnaround the Bombers have had over the last season and a half uh, and mentioning, you know, what Kyle Walters has done specifically with his drafting and with the Canadian talent in building this football team. I thought that was a really interesting take on that uh, that I haven't heard too often. So uh, a great interview there with Robert Dalton of the Rouge Radio podcast. And I want to thank him for taking the time to uh, join me on the show. Uh, moving on, so that's the West Division semifinal. We talked about it with Andrew. We talked about it with Robert. Moving on over to the East Division, uh, where we have the Ottawa Red Blacks hosting the crossover team, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, as the Riders come into Ottawa. 
no crossover team has ever made it to the Grey Cup. Only two have ever made it to the East Final, including the Eskimos last year. Uh, certainly, you know, history against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, when it comes to the record books there. Uh, great matchup this is going to be between these two teams. They split their games this season. Each team won their the game they won by only one point. This might be as about close of a matchup as we could get. Uh, and I've got two guys uh, who also joined me this week out of Saskatchewan and out of Ottawa uh, to, to break down this whole matchup, to break down the seasons we saw from those two clubs. So uh, to kick things off covering the Eastern semifinal here uh, with the crossover team, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to be joined by Steve from the Piffles podcast out of Saskatchewan earlier this week for an interview. Uh, we talked. Uh, we had Steve on earlier in the season before Labor Day uh, to talk about that game uh, and the first half of the season, and now we got a chance to kind of talk about the second half of the season where the Riders really took off uh, and came on strong coming into the playoffs. Uh, so managed to get his take on all of that and more. Without further ado, here's Steve from the Piffles Podcast. And now I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast by a guy making his second appearance on the show this year. We welcome Steve from the Piffles podcast out of Saskatchewan to the show. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Hey, glad to be back. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Now, uh, we spoke to you last, I believe, I believe it was right before the Labor Day game in Regina. So I'll try to make sure not to ask the same questions we asked (laughs) back then. So, uh. Focus a little more kind of on the second half of the season since we last spoke in terms of Saskatchewan Rough Riders, obviously getting ready to for a playoff game in Ottawa this week. Uh, give me your thoughts on what you saw from the Riders in the second half of the season. Oh, well, I'm the kind of guy I usually take, uh, take this, like most coaches, I take the season by thirds. And after we started, what was it, two and four, the Riders kind of went on a run. They, they were eight and three before they are kind of meaningless loss to Edmonton. I don't want to say meaningless because obviously, you know, a loss meant going through the East and a lot of, a lot of road miles, but right. it, it was a much more entertaining second half of the season. We can definitely say that if yes. I had to pick one word, entertaining would be the one to go. That, that, that generally is the best way in my opinion to describe the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, now, if I remember correctly, you were the one who was saying Saskatchewan would finish at 10 wins coming into the year. Was that you, correct? No, actually, I was the only one on our show that predicted them to have less. I predicted 9-9. Nine and nine. The rest of the gang went 10-8. and eight. Okay, got and that. And we, uh, we were all called homers for that pick. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess after the last couple of seasons, you know, a real, <laughs> real good bounce back year from the Riders. Arguably, Chris Jones, in a very short time, while we weren't sure where he was heading with the rebuild when it started, uh, casting off guys such as John Chick, Weston Dressler, he has built himself a fine football team here, a really strong Chris Jones defense like he is known for. Talk a little bit about that defense and what's made it so strong, especially in the second half of, half of the year. Uh, to me, the biggest the biggest upgrade over the last couple of years has been at defensive back. Um, the one... I don't want to say he's an unheralded signing anymore because he's he's been talked about pretty much nonstop the last month and a half. Uh, but Javon Johnson was such a huge pickup from uh, when he got cut in Montreal, and everybody says he plays substantially better when he's got a chip on his shoulder and he had something to prove. And he's been kind of that lockdown guy that we were missing. 
but you look at him, Ed Ganey, Casey Rogers, you know, that's a, that's a formidable trio of, uh, of defensive backs. We, we've definitely had our issues at, uh, at D line, but when you've got DBs like that, who can cover for long periods of time, you can, you can kind of get a little weaker in that end, but they, even there we've shown over the last four or five weeks that we can actually stop the run, which was our biggest concern, uh, going into the first game against Ottawa, uh, I want to say about five weeks ago and you know, when, when William Powell basically ran over us for uh, an Ottawa record number of yards right yeah I'd be I, I you know I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the whole quarterback situation in Saskatchewan because uh, we've seen all season long it's Kevin Glenn great start to the year second half of the season struggled but he continually given the ball as the starter Things don't go well. Brandon Bridge comes in, plays great, but they go back to Kevin Glenn the week, next week. We had a long discussion about this on our uh, playoff preview show, which came out earlier in the week. Um, your thoughts on that whole musical chairs at quarterback, and while we all know Kevin Glenn is probably going to start this week, who would you start coming into the playoff game? There would be no question for me. I'd be starting Brandon Bridge. Um Nothing against what Glenn has done, and he's been—he was great through the first half of the season. You know, up until he hurt his hand, he was—I I don't think many would be would disagree. He was in the running for MOP at that point. He was leading an offense that was scoring thirty plus points a game, and seemingly at ease. But ever since he returned, he just hasn't been the same guy. And in in the regular season, you can afford you know a, a quarter of stagnant football. You can't do that in the playoffs, and that's what we've been getting every game for the last six weeks. Is that you know that slow start, followed by Bridge coming in and kind of bringing some excitement and some you know ability to move the ball. Right. Uh, I've been I've been very vocal over the last few weeks that I'm not impressed. That's one of the few decisions I don't like. Yeah, and it's uh, almost this a, year, and it's almost a unique one as well in the fact that. You know, one might say, okay, don't fix or uh, don't fix what ain't broken or whatever that saying is in the sense that, okay, well, Bridge comes in, he plays well, they win the football game, why not do this again? But definitely the argument is there. Well, if he's the one who has to is coming in to win every football game, why isn't he the one starting, right? And that's just it. I mean, at what point do you just stop and give four quarters to Brandon Bridge, especially if you... You know, you're looking at him as a potential future. We all know Kevin Glenn is not the future starting quarterback of the Riders. Right. If this isn't his last year, he doesn't have many left. Brandon Bridge is a free agent at the end of the year. What does this say to him that you basically refuse to go back to him, even though everybody can see that he's been the guy? Yeah, yeah. that's an that's an interesting argument there. Uh, with you know the message being sent to Brandon Bridge, I don't know if that's often the part that's considered here. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it makes sense to start Brandon Bridge coming into the playoffs. Although uh, second career start in a playoff game versus a guy who you know has been around the league for a long time, I could see that argument from that standpoint as well. Yeah, you you do have the veteran the veteran presence of of Kevin Glenn, and obviously in a playoff game that's important. But I just it shouldn't be his second start. He should have started four weeks ago, and it sh- this should be his fifth, his sixth start consecutively based on how the games have been going. And I wonder how much that affects the locker room. They look at they look at Chris Jones sticking to a guy who's not performing. 
you know, what does that say to the the backups in any other position, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the best way to describe the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this year was entertaining. I don't think there's anyone more entertaining in the <laughs> CFL than Deron Carter. Uh, we've seen him play a wide receiver. We've seen him play on kick returns. And now he's playing on defense. Um, what What's so special about Deron Carter? He's just a straight-up athlete who loves the game. I mean, if you if you ever sit down and watch him at practice, you will never see him without a smile. He's just he's just out there having fun. He's not. This isn't a business to him. This is just a game, and and he shows it. I mean, and then you add in his exceptional talent and athletic ability, and he's always going to be fun. And of course, he's got a bit of a an entertaining Twitter to follow along with as well. Oh, absolutely! Many <laughs> hours of entertainment provided by that. Uh, yeah, he's just one of those guys I've noticed as well that really loves the game of football. Is having a lot of fun out there, and 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 people argue against that. That you know, you've been here before. You do your job. I, for one, I love to see the celebrations that those guys that you have out there in Saskatchewan have put on. You know, quite entertaining to watch, like you said. Um, if you were Chris Jones coming into this playoff game, and you've had Deron Carter on both sides of the ball. What side of the ball are you playing him? Oh, offense. There's no, there's no question in my mind right now. I, I would. I would be disappointed if he sees any any defensive time. I mean, outside of the occasional just for fun play if the game's wrapped up or in injury coverage, you, you're taking away one of the most electrifying offensive players in the league. And where where my season tickets are, I was I was lucky enough to be very very close to that that amazing catch he had earlier this year. Oh wow! You don't take that kind of thing off the field. And I and I think the part a part of this whole move to defense was to get him motivated, interested, and to keep him healthy. And we we kind of had more or less the playoffs locked up. And with Casey Casey Rogers' injury, I'm hoping that's all this was. But I I don't see how they take a a thousand yard receiver away from the offense, away from an offense that's having issues moving the ball. Yeah, oh yeah, I would agree with you on that one for sure. Um, talking about the wide receiver position, Chad Owens is a guy that could not get into the lineup for the majority of the season, but late in the season he finally gets into the lineup and he plays pretty darn good football in the time he's in there. What has he brought to the team in the final couple of weeks? Uh, and is he a key factor going into the playoffs or moving Deron Carter back to offense? Uh, is that kind of move uh, Chad Owens out of the lineup? You know, I, I ate a lot of crow after uh, Chad Owens' first game with the Riders. I I was not impressed with the signing, and I wasn't happy that he was playing at that point in the year. He shut me up within five minutes. Right now, he brings fresh legs, again, on an offense that's been having trouble. He brings a different look that I don't really think any of the other receivers really have. I would be shocked if he's not our fifth import receiver. I don't think he'll start just because of who we've got. I mean, you've got three thousand-yard receivers in Carter, Roosevelt, hopefully, and Bakari Grant. You know, I could I could see him slipping slipping in fourth there, just based on his end-of-season performance and that veteran Hawley. presence. Uh yeah, I I would see him ahead of Caleb Holly right now. Okay. And it's it comes down to that that veteran. So yeah, fourth the fourth receiver. I don't see he will not be sitting. 
he will not be scratched. Just a plethora of riches at the wide receiver <laughs> position for it's... the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, send a couple more of those out east, uh, one province over. Uh, we could use a couple here in Winnipeg. <laughs> uh, um, I, don't, I, I think there's no other team I'd rather not send them to, but that, that might be uh, <laughs> years of growing up in Saskatchewan. <laughs> Uh, getting into the playoff matchup this week with the Ottawa Red Blacks. These are two teams. This may be the tightest, one of the tightest playoff matchups of them all possible uh, this year because we have these two teams that played each other twice this year, split the games, and each won by a single point. What do you make of this matchup, and uh, what do you see happening on Sunday? Oh, we we recorded uh, on on Monday, and I I was. I was under the impression or of the opinion that this is absolutely going to be a tight football game. Um, it's two of the hottest teams in the league right now. Between Ottawa, Saskatchewan, and Edmonton, you've got three teams that are going into the the playoffs absolutely on fire compared to their first halves. Right. I'd even throw Toronto in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto would be the fourth. Um, I. It's really hard to figure out how this game is going to go. I mean, if we if we could predict it, we'd make a lot of money on the on this particular game because it's going to be hotly contested all day or all week. But right. it, it's going to be tight. It's going to be a great offensive battle, I think. It, it's going to be a high scoring affair, which is not really what you want to see with a with a Chris Jones led defense. Right. Yeah. But I, but I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of points on the board. I could I could see it being a, a high scoring game as well. We didn't get too terribly of a high-scoring game, especially in that first meeting this year between uh, the two teams. We saw Ottawa go up 17-0. It looked like it was going to be a blowout. Uh, and then Christian Jones returns that punt uh, for a touchdown, gets all of the momentum, and the Riders go on to win. What impact has he made on the team this year? Because he seemingly, uh, from an outsider's perspective, came out of nowhere. He, to me, should have been our, our Rookie of the Year nominee. The only reason he wasn't is he he did come by so late. He's the first guy that I can remember in in years as a Ryder fan, kind of sitting up and expecting something big every time he touches the ball. That that's not a common occurrence out here. We're not used to that. I mean, between him and now Marcus Thigpen and Chad Owens, it's three electrifying re- retur- potential returners back there. But Christian Jones just brings something. Something different. It's really hard to put words to what he's been doing. But he absolutely should have been our rookie nominee. Who was the rookie nominee? Uh, it was Toby Antica. Uh, okay, okay. On, on the D-line. Not a, not a bad choice. Right. But it, it's what happens when you only play, what, nine, nine-ish games. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, the biggest key, in your opinion, for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, if they're going to go out and win the game against Ottawa this week, what is the biggest key for them? Stop William Powell. Turn turn Ottawa into one into a one dimensional team, and you have a chance. But right now, they've got, in my opinion, the best receiver playing right now in in Greg Ellingson, and the top running back and a solid quarterback. That, that's a that's a scary trio to uh, to go up against if you're not containing the run. Yeah, for so it's, sure. it's it's contain the run, get to Trevor Harris. That's it. It all comes down to our D line, which does scare me. Right, and get things moving on offense. Obviously, early in the game as well. None <laughs> of this. Okay, let's pull Kevin Glenn after the first quarter, or if they do, they better pull him early enough. Is kind of the idea, I'm guessing, right? I I certainly hope so. The leash does seem to be getting shorter every time. 
but it, it, it won't be short enough to me unless he starts off real hot. And finally, do you have a Grey Cup prediction for us? I do. And I'm going to I'm going to look like a homer, I know I am, but I think it's going to be Saskatchewan Edmonton in the in the Grey Cup and I can't even begin to pick between those two teams. Right on, fair enough. But, uh, for the record, I had uh, Edmonton Toronto. Unfortunately, I do have both the Riders and the Bombers losing in the first round. I could, I could see it. Although I would be, I would be excited about a Riders Bombers Grey Cup. Oh, I mean that's the dream, right? I, uh, I, I believe it was with you we were talking earlier this season about the dream of a home playoff or just a playoff game between the two teams, <laughs> and we came oh so close this week uh, or this season to finally getting that. Um, was uh in terms of staying out west going out east is the east the preferred route uh your preferred matchup for the riders or uh would no. you have preferred to stay out west i i wanted to stay west and it was it was more because the east is heating up right now i mean after was it one six and one ottawa started they've been on a tear toronto looks great winnipeg is facing some injury issues and calgary has looked bad uh, 10 steps beyond beatable right we, I think most people in Rider Nation wanted them to go west. But I think the, the important part of coming out of Saturday was uh, getting out mostly uninjured. Right, yeah. It's kind of weird almost that now it's kind of flipped where the west is the preferred route, where everyone all season long <laughs> was saying the east was the preferred route. Uh, that's how it works in the CFL. Uh, just to wrap things up here, uh, once again, where can people find your work and where can people find you on social media? Absolutely. Uh, you can find us at www.pipplespodcast.com is our website. Uh, Twitter, Pipples Pod. Or you can find me, if you're looking for me specifically, at Safamod. Right on, right on. Well, I want to thank you uh, for joining me here again on the podcast uh, for the second time this year. Uh, all the best to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the playoffs. I can say that as, uh, you know, they won't play the Bombers until potentially <laughs> the Grey Cup. At that point, I, I retract that statement. Um, but uh, all around, I hope we get some interesting games. I hope you enjoy the playoffs. And same to you guys. Right on. Thank you again uh, for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Take care. Take care. And that was Steve from the Piffles Podcast out of Regina joining me to talk about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as they head into Ottawa this week for the playoff game, for the crossover game. Um, really great conversation, uh, you know, getting his perspective on the whole quarterback situation with the Riders, uh, hearing what he had to say about Deron Carter, and really just about the, the Riders as a whole. I like the way he put it best, um, that... You know, the best way to describe the riders is entertaining. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. So much fun to watch the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, and, and the fan base, I mean, it's incredible. Yes, Winnipeg may have officially won the TSN's loudest fan competition uh, this year, but the people in Saskatchewan are crazy about CFL football. And it is very clear. Uh, and the guys from and girl from the Piffles podcast out of Saskatchewan, including Steve, uh, do a great job of covering that team for anyone who uh, enjoys it, so I recommend checking that out. Uh, moving over to the other side of this game, the Ottawa Red Blacks are the team that's hosting the Grey Cup this year, uh, and they're looking to find their way into the game to play in front of their hometown fans. Um, very interesting year for the Ottawa Red Blacks, you know, finished with an 8-9-1 record, ho but hosting a home playoff game due to the lackluster East Division. 
Um, but if you look at their record, I don't know if it really speaks justice to the way this team has played all year because you look at uh, you look at all of the close games they lost early in the season. There were a lot of those they could have come out on the right end. Uh, nonetheless, Ottawa looking to get into the Grey Cup for the third straight year, uh, looking to repeat as champions. And uh, wow, if they can manage three Grey Cup uh, appearances in their first four years as a franchise, that is pretty impressive. Uh, I had a chance uh, this week to uh, speak with Tim Baines of the Ottawa Sun out of Ottawa to talk about the Red Blacks, uh, their success as a franchise, and also about uh, what it was like to watch his son play in the CFL as his son Mitchell Baines got a chance to play a couple games with the Hamilton Tiger Cats this year. So without further ado, here's Tim Baines uh, from the Ottawa Sun joining me on the podcast. And we're pleased to be joined now on the podcast by Ottawa Sun reporter Tim Baines to talk Ottawa Red Blacks. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hello. Hello. Uh, glad to have you here. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, I guess first question I want to ask, because you do cover the Ottawa Red Blacks, obviously the big Grey Cup win last year. Coming into this year, what were your expectations for the team? Well, I think when you come off a Grey Cup win, you expect more of the same. Uh, but then you have to take into account that the 8-9-1 regular season last year, and you wonder, was it a little bit of luck? Um, and again, this year, 8-9-1, kind of familiar territory for them. Yep. But they've got to play a playoff game to get into the East Final. So, um, yeah, high expectations, but it's really been a roller coaster of a season. Right, sure has. You talk about those, uh, all of those close losses at the beginning of the season and now in the second half it's almost looked like it's turned around a little bit to them pulling out those close wins what changed in the second half of the season for the red blacks that really turned it around it's funny the way the game works and they've talked about the ability to put your foot on an opponent's throat because in in a lot of those losses early in the season they certainly had the upper hand um and in many cases were the better team but for whatever reason, they let leads, they, they frittered or what they, they, they gave up leads late in the game, and, and it was just hard to believe what was going on. Um, and then now they've put together a three-game winning streak where they've showed, they've shown that uh, they, and certainly in, in any one of those three games they could have lost, but they made the big plays, the key plays to pull it out, and certainly that gives them momentum heading into the playoffs. Absolutely. What has Marcel Desjardins done as general manager in his time with the Ottawa Red Blacks that's caused them to be so successful for a young team? Because you look at a team that's, what now, this is the fifth year in the league and very well has a decent shot, I would say, of making it three straight years in the Grey Cup. Like, to me, that's that's something that, that that's ridiculous and incredible that they've been able to pull off. What is it about his approach to building this team that's made them so successful? Fourth year in the league. Fourth year. The So coming off year one where they win two games, a remarkable job by the football operations department. They had the quarterback in place, Henry Burris. Um, in year two, they go out and get Brad Sinopoli, Greg Ellingson, Chris Williams, and Sir Vincent Rogers, who turns out in that year to be the most outstanding lineman in the league. I don't know if there have been a lot of better, uh, if there have been any better free agent recruiting classes than that. That was the turnaround. The Red Blacks gave Henry Burris three all-star receivers, 
they gave him an all-star offensive lineman. Um, certainly in year one, the defense showed signs of, uh, of playing pretty well, but all of a sudden the offense began to take shape, and that carried them through year one, or sorry, year three, year two, and then last year uh, they win the Grey Cup uh, with a lot of those same players. So certainly, I think we could look, we could pinpoint that that year two, going into year two, uh, Fraser recruiting class is just being huge for this team uh, going forward. It's the CFL is a funny league where. <laughs> First of all, it's, it's not often you see a team winning a division with, with eight wins in, in 18 games um, like they did last year. But in, 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 a, in a way, they've been fortunate to be in that East division in, in a position where they could, uh, uh, I don't want to see it was, say it was a free ticket to the final, but it's certainly easier, it's been easier the past couple of years to come out of the East, uh, certainly, than the more competitive West division. Right, absolutely. Yeah, incredible job. I think, you know, to me, that was almost the first time I've seen that, at least in the recent history. Of You talk so much across sports about draft and develop, draft and develop, and then Marshall Desjardins basically goes and builds a championship team through free agency, like you said, all of those additions, I thought was really a, a unique approach to it, and clearly it's worked. Talk a little bit on that note, kind of... Some of those pieces that were brought in for those last two seasons going to the Grey Cup, moving on in the off season, and the changes that kind of that took place coming into this year. The Red Blacks there's certainly been movement. I mean, they they uh, from last year to this year, they've lost so many. They've lost so many key places, pieces, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think they've got a philosophy, a, a financial philosophy that they. Basically, they slot by position, and they only, for instance, with defensive backs, if they decide that a cornerback can make a maximum of $80,000, and a guy comes to them and says he wants $90,000, they're going to move on. They're going to move on. It's next man up. Uh, they have a, a philosophy that uh, they're going to, they slot in certain positions, and that's what they're willing to pay. And I, I guess, I mean, I've had... I've taken issue with a couple of their with a couple of the moves they've made, but certainly hard to argue with success, especially if they go on um, to win another Ray Cup. Certainly, they've got three wins before that happens, but uh, hard to argue with the success they've had so far. Again, in four short years, absolutely, it's it's just incredible to me. You know, you look at Winnipeg here, twenty seven years since they've won a Grey Cup, and uh, Ottawa does it that quick into the building the franchise. If you can uh, maybe talk a little bit about what it would mean for the city of Ottawa, obviously having the Grey Cup there in the city to be able to make it to the Grey Cup and play in a Grey Cup game at home. I think certainly last year a huge burden was lifted off Ottawa sports history. That we'd got it was it was almost almost Toronto Maple Leaf like in that this football, uh, the football history of Ottawa, there had not been a Grey Cup in 40 years. Now, certainly we've had a couple of hiatuses uh, where teams have come and gone away, but it had been uh, 40 years, and, and, and last year the team comes through and wins a Grey Cup. But the expectations are there, certainly. Coming off that success last year, I think there's a, there's a football at our nation here that expects that same kind of success. Not going to be easy. They've got to go over top of Saskatchewan and then Toronto, um, should they get to the Grey Cup, our nation is going to be strong. If they've got 36,000 seats in that stadium, there's going to be at least 31,000 of those people yelling their lungs off. It's going to be loud and and should be a huge advantage for Ottawa should they get there. 
Absolutely. Now, before we move on to kind of teeing up the actual playoff matchup here this week against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, moving away from the Red Blacks a little bit, uh, as we all know, your son, Mitchell, actually got to uh, start for the Hamilton Tiger Cats a couple games this year. What did that mean for you to get to see him play in the CFL? What a whirlwind season. Goes through training camp with Saskatchewan, gets cut, um, is at home, still working out, waiting for a chance, gets a call from, from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, come on down, you're, you're going to play for us. And then three days later is in the lineup in his hometown in Ottawa. Um, it was a different feeling, i got to tell you, in sitting in the press box covering my hometown Ottawa Red Blacks, trying to pay attention to the game, writing on deadline, and, 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 and trying to also pay attention to my, my kid who got on the football field and then, uh, and then started a couple games for them. And if nothing else happens, that's four, in the record books, it shows four catches in the CFL. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, things came to an end. Hamilton had some receivers come back, right. and um, still hoping for another opportunity. Maybe it happens next year. But but certainly, you know, I could be the proud papa and uh, <laughs> and watch as he had that kind of success. Oh well, congratulations to you. More so, congratulations to him for you know getting to the CFL and so great that you got to watch him play the sport you cover for a living. Moving on to talking about the uh, the game coming up this week against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, Ottawa hosting the Riders, the Riders the crossover team into Saskatchewan. What do you make of this game? Because this is a game between two teams that split two games this season, each winning by one point. Is this as close of a matchup as we can possibly get? I think it is. And if you look at it, it's funny. Both teams won. Both teams were very strong at home, won the away game, and lost the home game. Um, it's close. Ottawa's got uh, Ottawa could have a couple of key additions this week. Uh, offensive lineman Sir Vincent Rogers uh, could practice this week and play on Sunday. Uh, Joshua Stangby, uh, receiver they had expected big things out of this season, also could return from injury. Is actually the more likely of them to play. So a couple of big additions for Ottawa. Yeah, and that, what kind of effect is that going to have? Um, obviously, getting these guys back from injury. Um, what kind of effect does that have on the team? Does it rally you going into the playoffs a little bit there, or does it uh, also cause issues of, okay, this unit that's been playing together for the last couple of weeks and has really gotten on a roll in the second half of the season, and now all of a sudden, uh, you know, guys are getting back in and guys are coming out? That's the, I guess that's the quandary you face. Do you do you mess with something? Uh, but when, you, when you're talking about players... Of that caliber, certainly you have to get them in the lineup. I think if they're ready to play, um, really it's one and done at this point, and uh, you've got to put all your weapons out there. So if they're ready to go, they'll be in the lineup, and I'm sure it's the same with Saskatchewan. If anybody's healthy enough to play, it'll be interesting on Saskatchewan's part where Deron Carter plays. Right. Um, he has he has just lit up the Ottawa Red Blacks this year. So. Uh, I, I don't know if, if there'd be... I, I, I'm sure Ottawa would be happy if he was playing quarterback as, as well as he's played corner. I'm sure they don't want to see him at receiver. Absolutely not. Um, from the opponent perspective, obviously we didn't know until kind of late on Saturday who the Red Blacks were going to play, or I guess even if they were going to play this week, uh, possibly, you know, pulling out the bye, the first place in the bye week, but obviously Toronto goes on to win. Who do you feel would have been the better matchup for the Ottawa Red Blacks? Is it the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, or would it have been the Edmonton Eskimos? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know if there's a preference. I mean, Edmonton had went into a bit of a, of a 
tailspin, I guess, in the middle of the season. Um, do they want to face Jason Moss and the Edmonton Eskimos? They had, a lot of, they had success against them last year in the uh, West Final. Um, I don't know if there's a preference. I think you, you just game plan for whoever you play. I don't know whether they prefer to play either team. Uh, both teams are tough. Uh, this time of the season, anybody's tough. Uh, anything can, can happen. And the CFL, uh, we've come to expect a great cup that, that has lots of scoring and goes right down to the end. So it doesn't really matter who's there. I'm going to predict, it doesn't matter who's there, but I'm going to predict the score is going to be 43 to 36 for somebody. All right. That would be uh, quite the lively football game. I think one that uh, everyone would enjoy. Uh, give us uh, give us a prediction here for both this week and uh, maybe if you can uh, an overall playoff Grey Cup prediction. Wow, that's really putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, I wonder if any if any of our nation is watching this. Uh, probably, I could get myself in a lot of trouble here. Um, I don't really have a feel for it yet. I don't have a feel feel for this week. I certainly think again, uh, Ottawa. With the home with the home field advantage, which other than the playoffs last year hasn't meant a whole lot because they've struggled for some reason at home in the past two years. Um, I think I will say that Ottawa's feeling good about themselves. They like their chances against Saskatchewan, but if I was in Saskatchewan right now, I'm sure Chris Jones and the Rough Riders are feeling the same way. Um, if Ottawa comes out of this, if they if they can avoid the mistakes, they were ahead of Saskatchewan seventeen nothing. Here in the game, they lost 18-17 a month ago. And uh, a huge mistake. If they can avoid mistakes, whether it be a fumble, uh, interception, just big plays, avoid those big plays. And I think they have a really good chance uh, of beating Saskatchewan. And and again, I believe it comes down to the the final series. And, uh, you know, we'll go Ottawa 21, Saskatchewan 19. (laughs) As far as beyond that, uh, it's a long road. Grey Cup. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders are going to be tough, but hey, they've been beaten this year, so I don't know. I don't have a feel for it. It's it's one of those years again that uh, it's up in the air. There could be uh, nothing would surprise me. Any of those six remaining teams could be in that game. Oh, absolutely. I would agree with you on that. I've been saying all along as well that this might be one of the first years I can remember where I think all six teams have a shot of making it into the Grey Cup. And I think we're in for some exciting football over the next month. I'll really go out on a limb here. I'll say that BC, Hamilton, and Montreal will not win the Grey Cup. All right, all right. I, I, I think that's safe to say. That's, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's about as far, that's as safe a prediction as I can make. And uh, I, I don't know. I just can't, I can't get a feel for, I don't think there's a team that you can say they are going to win the Grey Cup. And I'm not sure you ever can say that because, as we all know, uh, weather sometimes is a factor. Strange things happen in this Grey Cup game. Absolutely. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, just to wrap things up here, Tim, where can people find your work and uh, find you on social media? Well, uh, OttawaSun.com, Ottawa Citizen as well, and uh, Twitter at Tim C. Baines. Right on. Th- I want to thank you for taking the time to join me here on the podcast. Uh, to tee up the playoffs, uh, and looking forward to some playoff football here on the way out, and uh, looking forward to reading your coverage on it as well. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you.
That was Tim Baines of the Ottawa Sun joining me here on the podcast to talk about the Ottawa Red Blacks. As I mentioned before, the Grey Cup hosting team looking to get back into the Grey Cup this year and repeat as champions. They had a pretty good finish to the season. They're on a bit of a roll heading into the playoffs, and I think they have a decent shot at making it all the way back to their third Grey Cup in as many years. Um, That's it for our CFL playoff roundtable uh, for round one of the playoffs here. Uh, Thank you so much to all of the guys, Andrew uh, from the Eskimo Empire podcast, Robert Dalton from the Rouge Radio podcast, Steve from the Piffles podcast, and Tim Baines of the Ottawa Sun for joining me here on the podcast to break down everything coming into the first round of the CFL playoffs. Uh, It all kicks off on Sunday uh, with both games coming on Sunday this week. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It was a lot of fun to speak with all of these guys and get their perspectives on what they see happening. Uh, and, And truly an honor to get a chance to speak with all of them. All of them are, you know, some of the best in the business. So a real honor. Thank you to all those guys for joining me on the show. I hope everyone who's listened to this really enjoyed it. Uh, look forward to more content coming next week on the podcast. As always, uh, Michael Garrell and I will be back next week with our regular show. Uh, and we're already working on uh, getting a couple more interviews going for another roundtable episode or something of this matter. So look forward, look for all of that content coming out soon. Uh Again, if you haven't checked it out already, go back and listen to our playoff preview show that me and Mike did earlier this week. Um, That's on our SoundCloud and iTunes pages. And stay tuned to our Twitter account, at CFC on MikeFM, for all the information on when next week's shows are coming out. Uh, Or subscribe on iTunes or uh, follow us on SoundCloud for all that information. That's it for today's show. This has been the uh, Canadian Football Countdown CFL Playoff Roundtable Special. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all enjoy the playoffs. It's going to be a wild ride for the rest of this month. Um, And we enjoy breaking it down with all of you. And we'll be back next week to do just that. Take care and have a wonderful day. Bye.